Y'all good? You ready to roll? Let's, let's turn to Hebrews 2. It was so cool. I don't know if y'all remember in the spring, I was on, we were on vacation. We're staying at Buck Bernie's Lake House. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Calden was like trying to figure out a Sunday morning deal. It was so cool. I got to come, got to come twice this year. Wait, that was this year, right? What's, yeah, that was in the spring. Yeah. So that was pretty neat. I love coming to this church. Um, there's a lot of people at this church I like. There's probably some people that um, I don't know, so I can't make an ass- assessment, but I like the Zortmans a lot. Um, but it's just the longer that one of the goals of Snowbird, uh, one of our goals as a ministry is church partnership. And man, we just, the longer this thing goes, the more, I mean, y'all are sending us staff now. Like you're sending your young men and young women to come serve alongside of us. And, um, and it's just awesome. Um, I'm really grateful. And uh, so my my so my daughter Kilby and my son-in-law Greg love this church. A lot of y'all follow them, and was speaking with them today, and they want you to know those. Of, some of you don't probably even know who they are. It's okay. There's a um, there's a lot of folks here that they're close with, and um, particularly the youth here. But they live they live on a border with South Sudan. And the Congo, they live in northern Uganda, and they work with refugees from Sudan. Crazy work, man. She's doing crazy work. They're like, uh, they are working. She works specifically with, Greg's an engineer. He's like, he likes math and stuff. But, um, and then he likes math and Jesus, which is one of the first people I ever met. and was like, oh, that's a thing. But um, <laughs> he's like, real, made good grades and everything. But uh, yeah, he's an engineer, so uh, he uses that platform to get there. They, do, you know, they do. You've probably heard of these organizations that do like well drilling, and they bring water to these people, and they they drill and maintain wells. But he trains Sudanese pastors um, who are in Uganda. That when they come into Uganda, they have to stay in these refugee camps. So, like, if you think about, if you pay attention to the, the crisis at our border right now. Imagine that crisis in a third world country. One third world country dumping into another third world. It's just a train wreck. So they just make them live in these refugee camps. There's just thousands on thousands of people living. And they each get like, they get a ration of like two pounds of rice and two pounds of something else. It's some, I never heard of it. Some other thing. Um, doesn't look very tasty. And they don't eat. last night they went and got some meat. And that was the first time in like 10 days. And I was like, oh, Lord. Um, so it's rough. Like, like. You know, and um, but I'm having this conversation with him and realized, and he's expressed. Oh, and Kilby, my daughter, she's working. She does this thing. It's called uh, they call it trauma healing. She works with with girls 12 to 20. There's 20 of them, about 22 of them that live in a safe house, and then nobody knows where it's at. And they're working with these girls because they were trafficked, and they pulled them out of that, and they they disciple them and do trauma healing counseling, and then prepare them to go get a job somewhere so we're having this conversation and i was expressing frustration over people who profess to be christ followers who walk away from the the lord like it just happens all the time and i was like asking them okay in a place like that is there less of that because what do you have to get there's no cultural christianity and what do you have to gain you know, there's no prosperity gospel when you're 300,000 people living in refugee camps. Nobody's like going to convince you that Jesus is going to give you an Escalade, you know? So like, there's no prosperity gospel working and there's no, and everybody's hungry and, and they just have Jesus. And I said, do people, 
the gospel seems to me like it flourishes in those places and it does gospel's powerful but greg said man you know we got the same thing happening here where people drift just drift they start strong and they drift and and i think about like in the new testament when you read through the book of acts and you see there are a lot of times in the bible where paul names people and one of the guys that's interesting that he names is a guy named demas and he names him three times he says at the first time he's like and i'm gonna paraphrase this all right i'm gonna paraphrase this western north carolina paraphrase he's like Demas is the man. Like, Demas is good. Demas is, Demas is right here. You know, like, me and Demas, we got it going on. And then the next time, he's like, uh, I saw Demas, but I ain't sure what he's up to. And the next time, he's like, uh, Demas has forsaken us for love of this present world. Like, people get freaked out about calling names, like naming people. Uh, then you're going to get offended when you read the Bible because he's like Hymenaeus, Alexander, Demas. Like he starts rattling names of people off and he's like, stay away from them cats, man. They're like demonic. He sold his soul to Satan. Like he will call people out. And you look in these really difficult cultures in the New Testament under the Roman Empire and people were walking away from the faith they professed 2,000 years ago. Like I'm talking about the seal on the broken tomb is still wet. And people are already walking away from Jesus. So as Christians, and here, here's something, and I'm gonna, this is going to be my concluding point, but I like to do this. I'm going to start with my concluding point, okay? Because the main point of the sermon should always be the same, like one point. I have spent most of my life going, at, like, and, and listening to, at, at events like this, listening to pastors, evangelists, teachers, try to convince people that they're not saved. You need to, like, Examine if you're ninety nine percent sure, then you're hundred percent lost. No, not true, not true, because we wrestle with doubt. You're gonna have to deal. You got to contend with doubt. You got like you, but but Paul will write things like this. These things I've written so that you may know. So the knowing and the confirmation and the surety comes from these things I have written. So if we abandon what has been written, then the doubt is going to become overwhelming. So there's this healthy tension. Nobody talking about, do you know that you know that you know? Yeah, I do know, but I doubt, Dad Gummit. Like I'm not like it's the most freeing thing to say. I wrestle sometimes because I know the foul nature of my own flesh. Like as Christians, could we just be honest that we got issues because we're human? And there's like I, I get so frustrated when I hear evangelists and people say, oh, you know what, you know what. Tonight, I want you to examine and, and I want you to nail it down. Or that it's like, I hear youth guys do this. Like I'm in a lot of youth events and they're trying to convince kids. I did this event one time and it was these guys are like strong men and they're like breaking frying pans and smashing cans. You ever seen these guys? It's a clown show, man. Like, and so these guys are like ripping stuff and breaking baseball bats. And that part's awesome. I ain't gonna lie. It was cool watching that one dude break a baseball bat on his own head. I was like... <laughs> But after I heard the sermon, I was like, he's done that too many times. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, but I remember they got all these kids to come forward. Well, our town, there's 200 people in our high school. And I saw on our website, 400 decisions got made at that event. I was at that event. They said 400 decisions got made. The next year, them dudes came back, did another event and said 400 kids got saved. And I'm going, there ain't 400 kids in this town. 
And if there were, they all got saved last year. Where y'all getting these kids from? It's awesome though, because that venue that they did that in, we bought that last year. There ain't going to be no more of that garbage going on. That's where your kids came to camp this past summer. That's where we do worship in that venue. It's an old honky tonk. We bought a honky tonk and we preach the gospel. It's awesome. Last time I was in that venue was for a tough woman, tough man contest. Like, like, uh, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked, but so these guys, and I remember thinking, what are we doing in the church? We need to convince people the surety of the gospel. And so Paul says, these things I've written so that you can know. And Paul writes to the Philippians being confident of this very thing. Well, what we're confident of is the work that Jesus is doing. If you're confident of the work that you're doing, then yeah, it makes sense. You're going to doubt, right? But if I'm confident, well, how am I confident of what Christ is? So I want to talk Uh, I want to share with you a message that I shared with Zach and Cynthia were there. I shared it with our staff this summer and it's, and it's growing out of, and it's a brief message. I'm not into the message yet. So don't this part of the time, I got my timer going, but the message itself is is fairly short. It's super simple, but it comes from the fact that like last year when all that crazy mess was happening, like you had COVID and you had the, uh, the like defund the police movement and BLM, like social, uh, like a lot of protests. And I was kind of going, oh man, what is like, what is our response to this supposed to be? I didn't realize I had these things on. Um, I was like, what is our response to this supposed to be as Christians? Am I supposed to pick a side, pick a team? Like, and you're seeing like this in the church, there's tension and people, and I'm like, I don't know. And I had, we had pressure being put on our ministry. Are you going to make a statement about this? Are you going to make a statement about that? And what I, what I, as I started to examine sort of the state of this generation, there is what's, what, what in the future we're going to look back and call a progressive shift in the church right now where people are trying to, where people are trying to drive the church and the gospel into a more secular friendly framework. And like we need to contextualize the gospel but the gospel's always going to isolate us. Like that one thing we will not tell students at Snowbird is, it's cool to follow Jesus. Nope, it's not. Nope, nope, not cool. Not by the, not by the pop culture's definition of cool. It's not cool to follow Jesus. And no, not, they're not going to get on MTV and talk about how cool it is to follow Jesus. TikTok's not blowing up with how cool it is to follow Jesus. You will always be, Jesus said in John 15, he's like, the world hates me. If you confess to be my followers, they're going to hate you too. So just go embrace yourself. And, but at the same time, I want to be honest, there, uh, me and Jason were talking very briefly. I can't wait to have a conversation. The church they just came from was like my family's there. That's their church. But I've been like blacklisted from that family because I'm not fundamental enough. Y'all know what fundamentalism is? That's a different conversation for a different time. So like, I don't want to like contextualize the gospel so much that it's progressing in a cultural friendly adaptation, but I also don't want to be like this legalistic KJV only. Come on, gals, where's your skirts? Put something on your head. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't want to drift off to legalism. So as Christians, how do we stay the course, be faithful to Jesus, impact society, take the light of the gospel, shine it into the darkness, go to war with, with what, with the right enemy? And stay faithful. How do we do that? Because what I've learned, we've trained about 1,200. We've had 130,000 teenagers come through our programs. We've trained close to 1,500 college-age students in those programs as interns. And we've commissioned and sent out over 100 missionaries now. And most of our missionaries go to very hard places. And the the percentage of those people from that number of 1,500 
that have abandoned the faith is staggering. I'm not talking about they were marginal cultural Christians. I'm talking about they were doing work. They were gunslingers and sword bearers. They were, they were driving back the forces of darkness. And now they have progressed into this other thing where they'll still, a lot of them will still say they're Christian, but, but they're not. Not because I'm the judge, but because it doesn't line up with what the scripture teaches about what it is to, to be firmly rooted in Christ Jesus. So I want to read a warning tonight. So Hebrews chapter 2, and this is a warning for all of us. It's a warning for us because I would assume that on the day that the Gators are playing the the roll tide, whatever the heck a roll tide is, an elephant, the day that that's happening, if you're here, you're probably like not bench warmers, I'm going to assume. Okay, so this is a message for the church. This is a message. This is is a thought process for believers. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore... We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray, take your word, open our hearts and our minds. In these next 20, 25 minutes, I pray you would make this real to us, apply it to our lives, and give us what we need to stay faithful. Some of us, our journey is just beginning, and some of us are nearing the end. And God, I pray that we would all finish strong, and that when we close our eyes in in eternal sleep, that when we wake them up, we would see your face and hear you say, well done. That's what we want to do. We want to run the race well. We want to be good soldiers and good farmers and good athletes and good messengers. And we want to finish our race well. So help us to do that and learn tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says, therefore, anytime you see therefore in scripture, he's, he's connecting that to a previous thought. So this is chapter two. So in chapter one, what he's just done is he's, he's exhort. So think of it this way. Chapter one was exposition. Exposition is an explanation of theological thought. That's exposition. So he's just explained, and we're going to talk about what he explained, something that's practically theological. And he goes, therefore, and now he's going to give exhortation. So good Bible study, good Bible teaching, good Bible preaching. This is why we partner with this church, and this church partners with Snowbird, because you sit under good, faithful Bible exposition every week. So, so you go, exposition leads to exhortation. It's not complicated. What's that Geico thing? It's so simple, a caveman can do it, right? It's like, it's, the Bible is, there's exposition, there's theology, and then there's exhortation. If you just hang out right here in the theology and exposition, you, you, you'll become, you'll become so academic and you'll love theology, but there'll be no outworking of it. So so the exposition leads to exhortation. So chapter one is is the uh, exposition, and now he's gonna, therefore, and here comes the exhortation. It's kind of like, it reminds me of in school, when the teacher would say, so you sit there, school teachers, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. I was just a bad student. You're sitting in class, the teacher's lecturing, and especially in college, this was real, real thing in college and they're lecturing and man, it's going on and, and I'm a daydreamer. And all of a sudden you go, now this next bit is going to be included on the exam. And I'll be like, Oh, ooh, ooh, take some notes right here. Like, right. Let's just, just like pay attention. This is going to, you're going to be responsible for this material. It's like, he's saying, okay, when you see a warning in scripture, therefore we must pay closer attention. This is going to be included on the, he's saying, this is very important to, to like hone in on. Okay. So 
the author of the text is introducing us to one of the warning passages of the book of Hebrews. There's multiple warning passages in the book of Hebrews based on what he's just told us about who Jesus is in chapter one. So what was this exposition of chapter one? Chapter one, he's laid out who Jesus is. You want to study the person of Jesus. Hebrews chapter one is the one chapter that I would point you to. Here's what he gives seven things he tells us in chapter one. Jesus is the final prophet through whom God has spoken. He's the creator through whom God has spoken. So he's final prophet. He's the creator. He's the heir of all things. He's the exact representation of God's glory. Jesus is the representation of God's glory. This is important because if you go over to chapter 1, um, he says in verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. The picture is picture the sun. And, and imagine that the sun represents God the Father, the rays and the heat and the energy that comes from the sun, that's, that's what Jesus is like, that. He's coming from the Father and he's bringing life. And hang a pair of stinky socks on the clothesline, let them sit out there in direct sunlight, get that vitamin D for about five days and they don't stink anymore, right? Why? There's a purifying effect from the sun. So God is the sun. Jesus is the radiant purifying effect. He's the, so that's different. Last night I'm hanging out with my eight-year-old. Lord help. Raised a family and started over on purpose. Okay. So I got an eight-year-old who's tuned up and spun out. I ain't never seen a kid like that in my life. Right? Some people here know him. Um, and he goes, daddy, what's up with the moon? It is not that far away. You said it was real big. He's dead serious. He's not trying to be cute. And I was like, no, man, it's like real far away. So look, I can't, and I don't know how to explain this. He said, it's real bright. So no, it's not. It's actually not bright. It's just like a rock floating around out there. You know, the moon's not bright. What, what is the brightness of the moon? It's the reflection of the sun. Okay. Okay. Watch this. Jesus is not like that. He's not like, I've heard this poorly taught where somebody says, Gee, like imagine the moon and the reflection from the sun. Jesus is not a reflection of God. He is the radiant glory of God. That's different. You see? So Jesus, so, so Jesus is the, the radiance of God on display. He's the exact representation of God's glory. Number five, he's the upholder of all things. Number six, Jesus is the priest who provided purification for all things. How did he do this? At the cross. The cross provided me with the only way to be saved. Therefore, it is the only message of, message of salvation to a dying world. The cross shows me my need for a savior because it reveals my sin. The cross provided the answer to all of God's promises. We surrender to the power of the cross and we proclaim the victory of the cross. And because of the cross, Jesus is seated in victory at the right hand of the father. And number seven, the last thing that we learn in chapter one is that Jesus is the king of kings who has sat down at the place of honor. So the empty tomb, right? We, we sung about it a while ago and we got to that point about the empty tomb. Everybody gets excited. I get so excited. It's like, ah, it's so awesome to think about the resurrection. But then Paul writes to the Philippians and he's like, therefore, God has highly exalted him. He didn't just come back from the dead. He came back from the dead, conquering death, sin, hell, and the grave, and then took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. So he's exalted. So we learn the exaltation, these seven things about Jesus. I'll make my notes available, by the way. I don't know what the process is to pipeline those to y'all, but I'll make sure you have access to this, okay? Because I don't have, I don't know. I'm not even being funny. I don't know how to do PowerPoint, okay? So I don't know how to do it. Okay, so now, 
the warning. So he says, therefore, we must pay closer attention. Here's the warning. The first one is the big idea for the message. So right here we are, the heart of the message. He says, pay close attention to what we have heard. To not drift, we have to pay close attention. Constant examination. Consistent scrutiny of our lives under the word of God. Not under legalism. Not under man's rules. Some cat told my brother, he couldn't wear a hat in church. That's, I don't know where that, is. I don't, I don't know where that came from. Let's, let's, let's get away from legalism. Let's focus on things that matter. Let's focus on things that will keep us rooted in Christ. Not the periphery. So people, let me tell you why people drift. One reason, because they focus on something other than Jesus Christ and him crucified, buried, raised, exalted, and seated at the right hand of the Father. Start focusing on the peripherals and, it, and, it, and it's a matter of time. Pay close attention to what we've heard. It's e- Listen, here's what we pay close attention to. It's easy to read and learn about the Bible in an informative way. Yes, it is. Read, learn, memorize. There's a professor at UNC Chapel Hill named Bart Ehrman. He's a professor of New Testament theology and he's an atheist. He says he doesn't even believe historical Jesus existed even as a human. And he knows so much scripture is scary. You can learn in an informative way. It's easy to have, additionally, an emotional appeal during corporate worship. You see, believers come into church the other night. My son brought a teammate. Kid's a phenomenal athlete. He's going to do incredible things at the next level, probably. And he's standing and, and tucks ministering these boys. He's got a couple of these boys in big offensive line, and he's just hulking, huge dude. And then there's this kid, this running back. And, I'm, and we're worshiping. I look over there, and my man's like this. Because everybody's hands were raised. He, and then I realized, oh, he's feeling, you know, he's like, last time, last concert he was at, they were doing that, you know, he's like, oh, I know this. And he's caught up in the moment. People can have an emotional experience at church. They can have an academic experience with scripture. It's critical that we grow in our knowledge of scripture, but that we also submit to what we learn and strive to understand. The word of God will shape who I am and how I see God. But as we enter into the warning We are being challenged to consider and examine deeply the person and work of Jesus. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're to be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We're to look to the cross, look to the tomb, look to the throne, look to the kingdom. The work of Jesus is finished and complete and providing salvation. And we have to keep our eyes fixed on him. And he says, we've got to pay close attention. There's the warning. And then the last part is, lest we drift away from it. I just want to give you five warnings about drifting. And And it's really... It's not five warnings. I want to consider the causes, the pattern, and the effects of drifting. The causes, the pattern, and the effects of drifting. I read, uh, I was interested in how ocean currents work. Because I remember that movie, Castaway, when my man Tom Hanks got separated from Wilson. It was a tragic moment, you know? Like, the, he was like, well, volleyball's gone. You know, like, they're both right there in the same spot. And one of them ends up in Asia, and one of them in, ends up in... Outer banks or whatever, you know, like how'd that happen? Because currents, you know, currents do this. So how, what is, what is, as, as the word drifting is being used, what, why is that the word that's used? That's a physical word that has to do with water. So do a little research. You're welcome. You're going to appreciate this. There was a rubber duck spill. A cargo ship lost a container in China, coming out of China. So apparently China lets a lot of things out. Um, cargo ship... <laughs> Uh, lost a container, 28,000 rubber ducks. Fall, the container, I don't know how this happens. Falls off the boat, 28,000 rubber ducks. 
okay? Hit the water. A researcher tracked the ducks and found that they, there were ducks in Alaska and in the South Pacific. Fascinating. They all land in the same spot on the ocean, but the currents create a drifting effect that what that tells us is there's no purpose or direction to the drift. People that drift, people that drift away from Christianity will initially typically drift towards something, but that thing won't sustain them for five decades. It'll be something else, that they'll, you know. But I'll tell you this, no one ever drifted toward holiness. That's why the warnings against the, the drift away from Christ. The Mariana Trench is the deepest part of, of uh, like the, the deepest point on earth is the Mariana Trench. Uh, Everest is the highest point. The Challenger Deep is a section of the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Rim, in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, it's 35,000 feet deep. These explorers went down there. The dude's name was uh, Victor Vescovo. He went 35,000 feet down, made, made multiple trips, seven miles to the ocean floor, and discovered on the ocean floor, among other things, new species of animals, some stuff about tectonic plates, whatever those are. I'm not being funny right now. I have no idea what a tectonic plate is, but that, that's what he's looking at down there. Gases are coming out down there. And he saw a Skittles wrapper. That's right, Skittles wrapper. So somehow, that's where, so why? The, the idea of drifting is a vivid picture. He's saying to us, if you're not rooted, if you're not anchored, if you're not tethered to the word of God, this is important for young people because every wind of culture and every, like every vain thing that comes along, it's just all it's doing is pushing you, drifting you in a different direction. If we're not attached, fixed our eyes on Jesus, like anchored to the truth of the word of God will drift. So he says, therefore, pay closer attention. So a girl named Allie who served in our ministry, name changed for protecting her because it's not a person I want to call out. My heart's breaking for her right now. She serves in a third world remote Saharan location for years, faithfully ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now she's drifted into a homosexual lifestyle, progressive Christianity out West tied to a, LGBTQ plus friendly church. What's going on? She's drifting. She ain't gonna be happy there. Like right now, she thinks she's happy. That's what, when my wife gets, when my wife drives, because she lived with us. This girl lived with us for two years in my home, then went and served. When my wife drives to the airport in Atlanta, which is three hours for us, gets on a flight, flies across the country, Ubers to the Starbucks that this girl works at and is waiting outside when she gets off work and says, I've come to plead with you for the next four hours. Don't drift. Don't drift. What happened is that conversation develops and unfolds. What's realized is this is nothing. It's not complicated. It took her eyes off the thing. It took her eyes off Jesus. Unrooted herself from the word of God. Untethered herself from the word of God. Over the last few years, a scary and sobering thing has happened. And we're seeing this more and more. It's a drifting, but the drift has no purpose. If Skittles wrapper can end up on the bottom of the deepest part of the ocean. And if a rubber duck can lose the thing off the boat in China and it goes to Alaska, he's painting a picture for us. Don't drift. How do we not drift? There's the warning. There's a warning that he's giving us. So let's consider the causes, patterns, and effects of drifting in our last few minutes. Number one, there's 
there's the point where a person begins to drift. Begin, here's, here's what that looks like. We stop paying attention to the Word of God. What's the warning? Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift. We drift. We stop paying attention to the Word of God. There's a constant... By the way, there's a constant current, constant pressure. We're close enough to the ocean. We've all experienced this. You're playing in the water. You look up and you realize, oh, I'm like... I've, we've, we've made our way pretty far from where we started and we're not more than waist deep still. So it's just a gentle, constant pressure. doesn't take much. Left unaddressed, we will drift. This leads to number two. There's five of these. This leads to number two. Doubt. If I drift and I don't deal with it, then I'll begin to doubt. Hebrews 3.12, we begin to compromise and avoid the word of God. Listen to what he says in Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Begin to doubt. Um, evil, unbelieving heart. Doubt, we, just, we talked about it last night. Doubt and unbelief are two different things, but we need to identify doubt for what it is and attack it with truth. Doubt, doubt is not the opposite of faith and belief. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Doubt is an assault on your faith that all of us are going to have to contend with. It's like... It's like you can, you can, it's kind of like, uh, there, there's, a, there's a parenting practice that's not healthy, and it's when a parent tries to diminish the reality of something that's dangerous. Oh, those kids, like, um, I mean, don't worry about what those kids say. Um, there's, there's nothing to be afraid of. No, let me tell you, those kids may reject you. That's like truth. Those, you may have to live as a person who's isolated. Like we can't, we can't diminish the consequences of something. Sometimes, like I'm trying to think how to illustrate this. Like uh, here's an example: uh, walking through the airport with my one of my kids 20 years ago. Walking through the airport, I think we're in Minneapolis, and she wants to go run, play. And I was like, "Let me come here, come here. Listen to me. There are people in this airport that will abduct you. You know what that means? They will steal you." put you in the cargo bay of an airplane, fly you to another country, and I'll never see you again. They will do unthinkable things to you. What? I was like, what you got? She said, and here we went through the airport, right? There's a need to express the reality. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't need to say, oh, people are inherently good. Don't worry about it. Take candy from the guy in the white van. He, I'm sure he's a good, the clown knows. It's, uh, clowns are happy. White vans are a good place. Like, right, like there are warnings we're going to give to our kids when they're little, right? And so when we see a warning in Scripture, the warning is something that needs to be heeded, but it's something that needs to be heeded because it's rooted in truth. It's not an exaggeration, in other words. It's not, God's not just trying to get us to do the thing the way I try to get that toddler to do the thing. He's saying, listen to me. This is a real enemy. Drifting leads to doubting. Doubting then leads to, to dullness. We drift, we doubt, then we dull. Hebrews 5.11. We drift, we doubt, then we dull. Hebrews 5.11 says this. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. And then the next thing that happens is we drop out. We cut off fellowship and relationship with people we know will hold us accountable to the word. The effect of this is very broad and all-encompassing. Hebrews 10, 25, that's why the warning's there. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. 
And then ultimately, I've seen this, drift, doubt, dull, drop out, and then turn in defiance. Become angry at the word, angry at those who represent it. I've seen this happen so often where people don't like me, and I'm like, why don't you like, I don't understand why that person's mad at me. What's well, because of this progression? So they push away from the thing that they used to draw life from, the gospel, the family of faith, the community of believers. So how do we respond? Conclusion, how do we respond? As believers, how do we heed the warning? Number one, never start the drift. Twice as pay close attention. Number two, maintain an intentional and aggressive submission to the scripture. Number three, gospel ministry and gospel work must inform and drive social and societal work. If we get this confused, we will be driven by humanistic causes and compelled by secular convictions. What does that long sentence, two sentences mean? It means we are not driven by social justice causes. We're driven by the gospel. Sometimes those two things will need to merge, but the gospel informs social work. The gospel informs societal work, not vice versa. We don't ignore that work. It needs to be done. Christians have, have been the ones that have pushed back against the most grotesque mishandlings of atrocity throughout history. But the gospel informs that. We don't let the social construct inform the gospel. Next, keep yourself surrounded by godly people. In general, be involved in the local church. And in particular, submit to strong, intimate, godly relationships with brothers and sisters in the faith. Number five, authority and submission are God's strategy for each of us. The authority of the word of God and the church and submission to one another. Number six, James 5, 19 through 20 says, go after the one that's, when you, that's where we help each other. You see someone drifting, doubting, turning away, dulling, we go after them. Like when little went to Denver. And number seven, the last practical, intentional, the last thing is practical, a constant practice of intentional self-examination. When I was a kid growing up, I said this earlier, there was a, I told you we would end with the starting point. When I was a kid growing up, there was always a pressure by evangelists to get you to question your salvation, to doubt your salvation. Paul did not do that. He said, these things I've written so that you can know that you have eternal life. Scripture is filled with the promises of God to the believer. Jesus told parables to expose false belief and to reveal true faith. I'm trying to get people to doubt. Paul wrote to the Philippians that we should be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But he did tell the Corinthians to test the spirit of their worship, test the spirit of their teaching, test the spirit that was in them. That's not calling somebody to doubt. It's saying, put it to the test. And we should do that. We shouldn't question. I'm not saying we should question our salvation. I'm saying we should rest our salvation on the sure and true work of what Jesus has done. But I do think it's critical that we examine and question and test and prove the course we have charted. It's not about, am I doubting my salvation? It's let me examine and question, what is the course that I've charted? What is the path that I'm on? Because that, that drift happens when I begin to veer off that path. Christ has called us to this narrow road. Our intensity, our intensity and fervency with which we are moving and the weapons of our warfare on this road that is less traveled, this straight and narrow through the gate, we must consider what Paul calls this present suffering that is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in Christ Jesus. And we must push away from 
social Christianity while pushing equally aggressively away from the social causes uh, over gospel causes. Let's together fight for holiness, fight for one another, invite the advance invite to advance the gospel of the kingdom into the gospel of darkness and let's do this knowing that christ is lord and he will never fail so though we fall we too will never fail rest in christ put your eyes on jesus be warned pay close attention stay fastened and rooted to the scripture and let's hold one another it's not a social cultural experience for one hour on sunday we are a community of faith we hold each other in submission and faithfulness to one another amen let's pray